0: Amen. Well, we've got two readings again this evening, one from the New Testament and one from the Old. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me first to Luke chapter uh, 2. We read from here uh, this morning and we return to these verses again uh, this evening. And then we'll be reading for one final time for now anyway uh, in Isaiah, the end of chapter 8, verse 22 into chapter 9. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. And then Isaiah chapter 8 and beginning at verse 22. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help this evening to not merely listen to your word and so deceive ourselves, but to do what it says. Speak to us uh, through your word, by your spirit. Might all of us know the help of your Holy Spirit now to hear your voice and to respond to your truth as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, do you know how a royal birth is traditionally announced I'll tell you in case you're asked this question in a Christmas quiz you're doing over the next couple of weeks maybe what happens when a royal family member has a baby is that a bulletin is placed on an easel in the forecourt of Buckingham Palace so if you've ever been there in uh, London down the mall and you've uh, seen Buckingham Palace they put an easel and I suppose you got to get you telescope out and see uh, on the bulletin who's been born. I'm sure that the family members find out before the rest of us uh, do on the news. And while the birth of every child is is a precious and wonderful thing, the birth of a future king or a future queen, it has a sense of seriousness and significance that naturally all other births in the world don't quite have. Well, this evening is our final time in Isaiah 9, uh, verse uh, 6, as we've been Considering over the last few weeks the incredible promise of Christmas. And in it, we find a wonderful announcement of a baby's birth, of a birth of a royal baby. And what is different about this birth announcement compared to any other that's ever been seen in history is that it is sent before the birth. As a matter of fact, about 700 years before. It's an obvious fact, isn't it, that every single birth announcement that we get today comes to us once the baby has been born, obviously, but it's not like that here. Isaiah announces this child is born, this son is given about 700 years beforehand, and we really must not forget this fact as we've been dwelling on these names of this promised ruler that is to come. As we see these names fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, it can become easy to take for granted that they speak of him. They really do speak of him, but the detail of it, being so accurate 700 years before, it really is quite astounding. Maybe you remember a few weeks back, and we saw the context of this hope-filled promise. Uh, It comes to us from a situation of gloom and spiritual darkness, and it is into such a context as that, that the Lord promises a gift. To his people, he promises that a child will be born and a son will be given. And we've been considering uh, who this baby is, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom. He is the divinely strong and powerful one. He is the one who will forever care for his people and the one who will bring a deep seated well-being. And Jesus is his name the lord jesus christ he was born and fulfilled this amazing promise as he took on flesh and came among us to grant us wisdom protection care and peace as we come to know him and so this evening as we dwell on this fourth and final name the prince of peace i want us to find encouragement in that that jesus is the prince of peace that in jesus peace can be known in jesus peace can be Experience. Peace can be what we know day by day, no matter what our circumstances might be. I wonder, friend, is that what you want in your life? Do you want peace uh, this evening? Do you want to know real peace after the year that you've had, this Christmas and always, no matter what is going on in your life? Well, to help us to dwell on this fourth name of Jesus here in Isaiah 9, I just want to ask two questions of, of this title this evening the first is, how is Jesus the Prince of Peace? And then we will think about what kind of peace he gives us. So firstly, let's think about this. How is Jesus the Prince of Peace? How is Jesus the Prince of Peace? And to answer that, we must be mindful of what we find in the four gospel accounts. As we read of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we think of who he is and what he did, it is so evident that he really was a man of peace. His character was one which was peaceful. The things he said, the things he did were peace-filled. As you read of his ministry in the Gospels, we clearly see in all of the different circumstances that he faced, he really was the Prince of Peace. Take these few examples in different circumstances that really illustrate that. Jesus really is the Prince of Peace. Think of when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Matthew 14, we know from that that Matthew is recording just 5,000 men who were there. So the time you come, the women and the children, there was a lot more than 5,000. Imagine 5,000 people looking at you, wondering, imagining, where they're going to get the next meal from. They're hungry, they're miles away from anything. They're concerned, they're worried, materially, well, where's the next meal coming from? And what does Jesus do? He assures his worried disciples that he knows what he's going to do. He's going to take care of it. He puts them at ease and he provides for them in a miraculous way. He feeds them all and there's 12 baskets left over. Jesus brings peace. In the context of real material needs, Jesus brings peace. Then in Luke chapter 8, we have three instances recorded for us back to back, which by Luke, and it really demonstrates for us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In verse 22 of that chapter... Jesus and the disciples get into a boat and they set sail off across a lake and there's a huge storm that's brewing and it's getting bigger and bigger and it's coming around them and it's swamping the boats and these experienced fishermen who've seen it all, they're so threatened by it, they feel terrified for their lives, they think they're going to die. Jesus is asleep in this boat, he's at peace, he's woken up by these disciples fearing for their life and what does he do? He rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves. The storm is gone like that and all is calm. Jesus brings peace in and over the forces of nature when the elements are threatening to overwhelm us. Jesus brings peace. Then when they reach the other side of the lake, Luke tells us that they meet a demon-possessed man who had been chained, he'd been kept under guard, he was not in his right mind. But that doesn't frighten Jesus. He commands the impure spirit out of him. And when the crowds come out and see what had been going on they found this demon possessed man the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet dressed and in his right mind Jesus brings peace to this man who had no deep distress in his life Jesus brings peace when despair and distress is maybe what we're feeling then Luke ends chapter 8 by um, mentioning the, the raising of the dead daughter of a man named Jairus. The mourners were all gathered at the house. They know that this little girl really was dead. And so they all laugh at Jesus when he tells them, this little girl is only asleep. But Jesus doesn't get fazed by that. He takes the parents and three of his disciples. He calmly goes and just raises her from the dead with the simple words, my child, get up. Jesus brings peace. In the face of death, that's what Jesus does. And then one uh, final illustration. You get, get the idea. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, a mob comes to arrest him. We read in John 18 that Peter, he takes his sword out, strikes the ear of one of those who had come in the crowd. But fully aware of the, the sovereign plan of salvation of humanity, the Lord Jesus doesn't fight. He peacefully surrenders himself to be arrested, knowing that he's heading to be crucified tomorrow. Even when he's there on trial, he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 53 in verse 7. That he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He's peace personified. As he silently hears the false accusations made against him. Pilate's astonished at that. then at the cross, he prays for those who have hung him there. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. With clarity of mind, he doesn't call down curses. He asks for forgiveness for his executioners. As he dies there, accomplishing the eternal plan of salvation for our sins at the cross, even there, in the worst of all moments, the Lord Jesus knew peace. The Lord Jesus was peace. He was the Prince of Peace. And that brief snapshot hopefully illustrates that the Lord Jesus Christ really is who Isaiah is telling us he is, the Prince of Peace. As we look at his life, it's so clear to see the peace that he was and is. And yet we must go further on this question. How is Jesus the the Prince of Peace? Well, we can say this, can't we? The peace that the Lord Jesus knew and displayed, it obviously didn't come from the lack of difficulties in his life, did it? We can sometimes equate peace with having a quiet life. That's why we might say, isn't it, we want to enjoy some peace and quiet. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do that. We know what we mean by that. But the peace that the Lord Jesus knew wasn't reliant upon his circumstances, was it? No, the peace that he knew came from the depths of his soul, where he knew intimate relationship and fellowship with God the Father. We can't separate that. The peace displayed flows out of his peaceable character. That points us, doesn't it, to the fact that real peace can only be known when we have a living relationship with the living God. If that was true for Jesus, the Son of God, well then how much more so is it true for us here this evening. We know don't we. That who, what we do. Primarily flows out of who we are. And so the peace. That was so evident in the, in the Lord Jesus. What makes him the Prince of Peace. Was his relationship. With his father. Jesus speaks at the end of John 14. Of, of how he loved the father. And did exactly what he commanded. Uh, what he was commanded to come and do. As he entered into this sinful world. He and his father were one. And because of that. He knew peace. Let's be clear here that the Lord Jesus Christ really is God. We've thought about that over these last couple of weeks. He is God in the flesh. But when he came to this world and he took on humanity, in order for him to remain true to his incarnation, in order for him to be totally man, he really did live as you and I must live. He never cheated when it came to being a real human. He never took shortcuts when it came to experiencing our humanity. He walked our roads, felt our pain, joys and sorrows that we know so well. We sang of that this morning. And one writer puts it this way when he says that Jesus lived by faith in the Father. He lived as you and I must live. He loved the Father and therefore he trusted the Father and this gave him peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He was in complete union as God the Son with God the Father, which meant he knew peace in his very being. And what makes him the Prince of Peace is that he is the only one who can bring anyone in this world true peace. Only he can bring long-lasting peace into our lives. Only he can provide reconciliation between God and us. And that is why this name is so wonderful, because it means That you and I can know peace in our lives too. That is what is so important about this name. Because while you might be thinking that everything you've heard so far is interesting and it might prove a point, I want to stress that this is not something that remains out there in the abstract. As with all of the names of Jesus here in in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, there is encouragement and there is hope for all of us here this evening. And so that is why we must secondly ask, what kind of peace does Jesus give? What kind of peace does Jesus give? It's an important question to answer because it is such a big part of what Christmas is all about. That's why we read earlier from Luke 2, when the angel sang to the shepherds there outside Bethlehem of one who would bring peace on earth. In the birth of Jesus, in the Prince of Peace, the supreme giver and bringer of peace was among us. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. But what does that mean? What kind of peace does Jesus give us? And there are three ways I want us to think about this. And the first, and the most important, because without this, there is no other peace. No other peace is truly possible. It's peace with God. Jesus gives us peace with God. Here in Isaiah 9 verse 7, we're told of the greatness of his government and peace... There will be no end. Kind of sounds like an early version, a prelude uh, of what those angels on the Bethlehem hillside would one day sing. For here again in this chapter this evening, we've, we've read of the, the shattering of a burdensome yoke and a bar and a rod from the oppressive as in the days of Midian. But there was one who would come, uh, a greater Gideon, uh, who will put an end to the forces of evil who opposed God and his people. And it took Isaiah another 44 chapters before he penned that this promised child would grow up to be a suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All those years before the Lord Jesus was even born, Isaiah knew that he would die. Peace would be ours, but it would be at a cost, at the cost of his dispeace. if we can put it like that. We would be reconciled because he would be alienated as he was pierced and crushed and punished for our sins. The hostility that naturally exists between a holy God and we unholy people is one that could only be dealt with because Christ was crushed for us as he bore our sins in his body on the tree, despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And so now, wonderfully, we can say that all hostilities have ceased between God and humanity. But that is only because of Jesus, only because of the Prince of Peace. And the Apostle Paul had a grasp of this when he wrote in the opening verse of Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understood that when we come to put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. That is, we are in right standing with God in his sight. And that, and that alone, is what means that you and I can have peace. You see, friends, this is at the very heart of our uh, lack of peace in our lives, the lack of peace in our world. It's impossible to know real and lasting peace without God. It simply can't be done. If it could, then you'd think that after many years of wars and rumors of wars and then more wars and and all the mistakes that we've made, you'd think that we human beings would have kind of learned our lessons and found a bit more peace or stability. But as we come to the end of another year, there's are wars going on in the Middle East. There's wars going on in Eastern Europe. There's fighting. There's strife. There's upset in our own nation. We can't get to peace on our own. Because we're not at peace with God. While we remain in our natural state. That all of us find ourselves in from the moment that we're born. We're alienated from God. We're cut off from him because of our sin. We live in sin. And where there is sin there is no peace. Life is not being lived as it is meant to be lived. And that is why you have no peace. And so when Paul tells us there in Romans 5 and verse 1 that we can only have peace with God in and through faith in Jesus Christ. For that alone is what puts us in right standing before God. He understands that. That without Jesus, we are without peace. We can only know peace with God through having our sins forgiven. And that is something. That you can know that can truly be yours through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, gives us the greatest peace in all the world. Peace with God when we trust our lives to him. You and I, we can only then know true peace. Because it is only then we will truly know our sins forgiven. That our guilt and shame are gone. And we know that wherever we go and whatever happens to us going forward... We know that we're safe and we know that we're secure because we've been saved by the Prince of Peace in and through his death on a cross for us. Jesus Christ came to be our peace. He came and preached peace to us. He brought stillness to our relationship with God where there had once been conflict, hostility and the wrath which we deserved. Jesus has taken that away. He's replaced it with peace through his death on a cross on our behalf. I wonder, friend, do you know this peace this evening? Are you at peace with God? Do you know peace before the Almighty Maker of the universe? Do you have that settled conscience as you hear the word of God to you this evening? Because you know that your sins are forgiven. And life is not rosy and perfect, but you know that much. Your sins are forgiven. A real peace, peace with God can be known by you tonight, friend, if you will come to Jesus and believe in him, that he is this Prince of Peace, that he came to this world at that first Christmas, that he might go to a cross and die the death that you deserved, that you might have peace with God. Do you have that peace, friend? Are you at peace with God tonight? If not, then that nigger will never go away. You know that you are hearing this evening the truth of God, that it is true, and you can do your best to ignore it and to reject it and to try to move on. But if you do that, then you will always remain unsettled. You will not have peace in this life or in the one to come. You will never rest in peace. So sad when people say that. You won't rest in peace if you don't have God. And it's only in and through Jesus Christ that this is possible. It's Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who gives us peace ...with God, That's one way of us to consider this peace that Jesus gives us. And then a second aspect I also want us to consider is this... ...that Jesus gives us the peace of God. Jesus gives us the peace of God. Jesus gives us a deep heart and mind guarding peace... ...in the midst of all kinds of trials and temptations. In Philippians 4 and verse 7... ...Paul gives the Christians at Philippi a wonderful promise. that is true for us this evening also... When he says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus gives us the peace of God. Maybe that verse is familiar to you and it's precious to you if you've been a Christian for a little while. But I encourage you again this evening to take hold of this promise and to linger around this truth. As we consider the Prince of Peace coming into our world at that first Christmas. That Jesus not only gives us peace with God, but he gives us the peace Of God. Don't let this encouragement go by without dwelling on this promise that we can have and we can know peace in absolutely everything. We can know freedom from our anxieties. We can know peace in absolutely everything. We can know liberation from worry and concern. Peace is ours for the taking here this evening because of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. There is no peace. Without Christmas, because there is no peace without Jesus. And you and I, we can have the Prince of Peace guarding our hearts and our minds this Christmas and always if we know Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds great, and I've been a follower of Jesus for many years, and yet you might say, I don't always have this peace, I don't always know this peace, it's not always my experience... And if that's how you're thinking, brothers and sisters, well then, you must do what Paul's used to do in the verse before in Philippians 4, verse 6. That says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So it might sound simple, but God simply calls us to pray. To ask our loving, gracious, heavenly Father for that which is on our minds and on our hearts. We cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. Prayer is the language of faith, isn't it? And the the more we pray in faith in everything and in every situation, the more we experience the peace of God, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so instead of striving for peace in ourselves, instead of trying to be peaceable in our own strength, we must look to Jesus and bring all things to him, the Prince of Peace. And when we do that, because he is the trustworthy, dependable, unfailing, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we will know rest for our souls. We really will know peace. That's why I wonder, friends, you need to prayerfully come to the Lord this evening, in this week to come, committing yourself, recommitting yourself to him and to his sovereign wisdom. You lack peace. Christian, because in practice your life is not one that is not reliant upon the Lord at this moment. Are you actively trusting in the Prince of Peace this evening? You can come back to him and you can draw near to him tonight and present your request to the the solid and stable and secure saviour who will welcome you and hear you and will, as Paul says, you will know no reason to be anxious about anything. That's a remarkable thing to say, isn't it? Something which almost seems too good for, to be true for us. But it really can be your experience today. And that's because just before Jesus heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he dies, he concludes his teaching in John 16 by saying this, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. As he goes to the cross, he's saying, you listen to these things. Believe in me, and you will have peace. He came to give us peace with God, and the overflow of that is that we might know the peace of God. It is a peace that transcends or uh, surpasses all understanding. It is a genuine sense of knowing that it is well with your soul, even when it feels like everything else around you is just falling apart. It's a peace that goes beyond reason. That's what it means to surpass understanding. It is a peace that we can't reason out. It doesn't seem logical. It almost doesn't make sense. And yet, we know it, and we have it, and we can see it in our own lives and in the lives of others. Doesn't it encourage you when you see the shining witness of a Christian brother or sister, and they're going through trials, and they just exude peace? Their situation seems so awful, humanly speaking, And there would be every reason to fret and to worry and to panic. And yet there is a deep-seated, rock-solid peace in their lives. They have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. They know a peace that can't be reasoned out. They can't say, well, this is exactly why and a, a formula of some sort. It surpasses understanding. And that is because they have the peace of God as they rest safe and secure in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And maybe you have known that very well in your own life. Maybe you are knowing it at this very moment. In your circumstances, peace graciously given to you by the Lord Jesus as you look to him, as you trust in him, in your difficult circumstances. You can know that too, friend, as you prayerfully present your requests to God by faith, relying on him and resting in him for all that you need. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He will bring that deep well-being and right relationship, which is just amazing. It's amazing news for all of us who lack peace with God. And yet the third and the final aspect of this peace is that we, we can know peace with each other. We can know peace with each other. Most important is the peace that we know with God. And only when we have that can we know the peace of God in our lives. But when we know this peace with God and this peace of God, then and only then can we know peace with each other. We can know peace with each other. We can know peace in our relationships with those around us, especially those in our church family. Peace and unity is what characterizes every gospel church. There is no room for division in the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be at peace with each other because that is a result of knowing peace with God and the peace of God. Of course, we are all human beings. So there are times, like in any human relationships with friends and with family, we might misunderstand someone. Or we might say something rashly and we regret that later. Or we might not hear something quite right and we get the wrong end of the stick. All things like that happen, don't they? We're not perfect. We know that. But here's the thing. Because we're not one in Jesus Christ, once our faith is in him, because of the peace we have in him, such misunderstandings, even wrongdoing and sin against one another, that can happen. Those things don't signal the end of our relationships. With one another, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, we aren't to be like the world. We don't give the cold shoulder. We don't carry a grudge. We don't refuse to talk to those who have wronged us or misunderstood us. It's a great tragedy in the church when such things happen. Now we're to be peacemakers. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We are to seek reconciliation. We are to say sorry. We are to forgive. We are to desire to be on terms with all brothers and sisters. We are to offer forgiveness. We are to seek peace with each other because that is a natural result of the good news of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And a real outworking of that good news of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is unpacked for, by us uh, for us uh, by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, wonderfully telling us about the the wonderful reality of peace in the Christian life. He establishes for us in chapter two that through Christ's death, we who were once far away have been brought near. We were once enemies of God, but now we are friends because Jesus is our peace, and in Him there is now. No division between all the different people that make up his church. Yes, we know we're all different people. We're all from different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. But once our faith is in Jesus Christ, once we have been saved by him, the things that used to separate us and divide us, they're no longer of first importance. We are fellow citizens as God's people. He's building us together. And so that's why Paul exhorts his readers at the start of Ephesians 4 to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and the Prince of Peace is the head of the church. And because we have peace with him, we can and we must know peace with each other. That's so important. And these truths are as much for me as they are for any one of us here this evening. I know that I am a selfish sinner who needs to be reminded of this reality, that peace is what we can know together one with another. And even when we get frustrated at someone or we lose our patience about something in church life, those things happen and we confess those things. And yet we should by grace strive for peace and unity and we make every effort to maintain it because it comes to us through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so only you can answer this question in your own heart, but I wonder, is there something practical that you need to do with this word of peace to you this evening is there someone that you need to reconnect with or to reconcile with even within our own church family is there a brother or a sister in Christ with whom you've little time for and this evening the Lord is saying to you you repent of that unpeaceable attitude the Prince of Peace did not come at that first Christmas that his church might not get on with each other Christian you have peace with God and you can have the peace of God and peace with each other Don't you want that this Christmas? Don't you want that next year to be a year of peace? Don't you want Bethel to be characterized by the peace of God that when anyone comes among us, they sense the reality of peace in our lives which shines so brightly against the lack of peace that there is in our world? Again, I stress, I need this as much as you need this. I often feel I need this most of all. But of course the reality is the Prince of Peace is someone who is for all of us. And this evening as we conclude our time in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. We are promised a universal peace. Peace between God and human beings. Peace between human beings, one another, and peace within us, human beings. Peace today in the present and peace tomorrow and every day of the future. Peace that will never end. Because our relationship with the Prince of Peace, that. Never ends either. Brothers and sisters, before he came, Isaiah knew that the Lord Jesus would be this wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. And now that he has come, we know the details of his coming and who he really is and and what he did. And we know that he really is the same yesterday and today and forever which means that today he is everything he was when he walked this earth 2,000 years ago, as we've considered this evening. He is still the same wonderful counselor, the same mighty God, the same Father forever, the same Prince of Peace. And so you have no reason to doubt him. You have no reason to mistrust him. Because in him, you have every reason to believe that he is all that you will ever need. He is the one who is all wisdom, all strength all compassion, all peace. So when you come to him this Christmas? when you believe in him that you might know peace today and for all eternity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these names of Jesus that we have been able to think upon over these last weeks. We thank you that he is the Prince of Peace and that in him we can know peace with you, with each other and within. Please would you help us to know the reality of your peace guarding our minds and our hearts this week as we rely on you and freshly commit ourselves to you. Please would you help us to apply your word to our lives by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Prince of Peace would have the glory and honour in our lives and in the church for his name's sake. Amen.